What's up, Pop Leaders? Happy Monday, everybody. I'm so happy to be back here with you on the Popular Leadership Podcast. This is the podcast where we look at what pop culture can teach us about leadership. I'm your host, Tony R. Sanders. Thank you guys so much for joining. I want to get started off today with just some clarifying things. Now, I'm the type of guy that when I get an idea, I like to just go for it. I don't like to wait. I like to pivot, create, start, jump, just do whatever I need to do to get the idea rolling. Because once the idea is rolling, you create momentum. And once you create momentum, it's easier to change pace or change direction when you're already in motion. I don't have to gear up. I'm already moving. And that's what I did with this podcast. But I know that I never fully explained what this podcast is about. So I wanted to start off this podcast episode with just a brief explanation of what popular leadership is all about. Popular leadership in its simplest terms is just this. It is a case study through popular culture to extract leadership principles. That's it. That's it. Imagine someone, you know, reading a leadership book while also watching Jersey Shore. That sounds crazy, right? But at the same time, somehow in this magical fusion way, these John Maxwell principles and like Paulie D fist pumping just kind of crashed into each other. And you come out with this beautiful thing where you realize there's so much you can learn about leadership, whether the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it in so many unexpected places. In fact, I'm of the belief that you can find leadership anywhere. You just have to be looking for it. I think that life is the greatest teacher and anything you want to learn about life, you can learn through life. And so that's popular leadership. I want to make sure that I take things that are popular, whether those be individuals, those be teams, movie ideas, vacation spots, whatever, something that everybody could identify with, something that you've seen or heard about for a great portion of your life and extract things that maybe you never knew were there. Maybe you didn't see it or look at it that way before. I like to make those connections because once you make the connections in the brain, learning starts to happen. And I'm really passionate about learning. And so if you're into that type of thing or if you know someone else who's into that type of thing, please, please share this podcast with them. This podcast is a home for you. I think you're a popular leader. That's the definition of a popular leader. Someone who can look at any situation and extract leadership principles out of it, extract learning out of it, extract something valuable and useful to use in their everyday lives. Now, I wanted to do that with pop culture because most people would think pop culture, especially reality TV, maybe even hip hop music, some of those types of things is some of the most useless time you could ever spend, right? Some people don't see any value in watching the Real Housewives of Atlanta or watching the Kardashians or whatever show you want to fill in the blank with, The Bachelorette, right? Some people see no value there. And I get it. I understand why someone would think that way. I understand why someone would have that mindset. But here's also what I believe and what I believe to be true and what I've proven to myself, but I also want to prove to you. I believe that you can find leadership everywhere, either the absence of it or more times than not, an overwhelming presence of it. And for me to really prove that to you, it would have been easy to look at you know, authors who publish books and say, here's leadership principles from the top authors and just go down the New York Times bestseller list. 
By the way, that's kind of a cool podcast idea. If you want to use that one, just, you know, tweet me or something. You don't have to credit me. Uh, but I could have been, I could have did that. That would have been really, really easy. I could have even did it with, you know, presidential candidates or, you know, someone that maybe does not call themselves, you know, a leader in the traditional John Maxwell sense, but obviously hold leadership roles and exude and show leadership on an everyday basis. I could have did that, but that would have been too easy. And that wouldn't have been as interesting to me or to you, the people that I make this show for, as it would be if we took it from Cardi B. You don't normally look at Cardi B and say, wow, that's a leader. But she is. It would be really cool to pull it from 2 Chains or the U.S. women's soccer team or, I don't know, Eddie Murphy or Jerry Seinfeld. I just watched their show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, so that's kind of stuck in my mind. Um, you, you wouldn't expect it from those places. And so in order to prove my theory and to prove to you and connect some things that you probably already know and care about, I thought that this was the best way to do this podcast. Now, I do want to have fun. I do want this to be the place where you can theoretically or maybe realistically, you know, in, in actuality, lay your hair down, take your hair down and learn leadership principles. I don't want this to be the stuck-up, uptight place where you feel like you have to be all buttoned up. We do that at the office all day anyway. And this podcast comes in Monday morning, right? And so on your drive to work, my hope is you can take a breath, you can relax, you can go into the office and be the type of leader that you've always wanted to be without judgment. It's so silly when I talk to leaders in behind closed doors or in a private conversation, they'll admit to me some of their guilty pleasures, but they would never want that spread around the office. They never want anybody to know in the office that they watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians like some people go to church. They never want anybody to know that. They don't want people to know that they pre-ordered the next Jersey Shore family vacation on Amazon in advance. They don't want people to know that. But the truth is, they did. Why do these Opposite things have to be fighting each other, right? Why can't we fuse these two things together so graciously and so uh, in a way where we can learn from it and actually balance each other out, right? Life is all about balance. I don't want to work with someone that's just a bored and they never do anything fun. They don't have any guilty pleasures. They don't like to watch a, a great movie or maybe a trash TV show or listen to a great hip hop song or whatever. They just want to be, you know, so zoned into what they're doing and they're buttoned up, you know, nine to five in my office type of, I don't want to work with that person. I want to work with someone who's actually a well-balanced human being. And that's who I created this show for. So if that's you, you are at the right place. You're listening to the right thing. You're watching the right thing. You're sharing the right thing. And I hope that you can identify with that. And I also hope that you share this with other people that could identify with that. So I wanted to get that out of the way. I'm so happy to be back. I just got back from vacation, which I won't talk a lot about today. But on my vacation, I got the inspiration to do this next episode. So we get on a flight. The first flight is like a six or six and a half hour flight or something like that, only to go take another five and a half hour flight. Long story. I won't share the whole thing. But what I do want to share is on that flight, I watched a film that I hadn't seen yet. Shame on me for not seeing. And that film was Creed 2. Now, you must know that growing up in my house with my dad, we were going to watch movies. 
and my dad liked to watch action films like most dads do. We would watch a lot of Jean-Claude Van Damme films. I remember watching Lionheart. I don't know if anybody else has seen that movie other than me and my dad, because every time I bring it up, they're like, what? Lionheart? I remember watching Lionheart. I remember watching Bloodsport, which I know more people have seen Bloodsport. I remember watching, uh, there was some movie, I think it was called uh, Double Trouble or something corny like that. It was a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. So we watched a lot of Jean-Claude Van Damme. We watched a lot of Bruce Lee, but we also watched a lot of Sylvester Stallone, specifically Rocky. Now, Rocky is an incredible franchise of movies, eight films, and I want to walk you through some of the leadership principles you can learn from Rocky and Sylvester Stallone because their stories are so intertwined. When you see Rocky's story, you are seeing something that mimics Sylvester Stallone's story, and I'm going to do my best to illustrate that and lay that out for you today But first, let's look at Rocky by the numbers. So the first Rocky film, there was a $1 million budget, a $1 million budget, which is not a lot for a movie, but still a lot of money. And especially in 1976, when it came out, that was a lot of money. That movie went on to gross $225 million. If someone gave you a million dollars, and you turned it into $225 million, guess what? They're probably going to keep giving you a million dollars because the results are working. It's really, really working, and we'll talk more about that uh, later. In total, the the entire sequence of films, the entire, uh, I, I don't even know how you call it, film series with all the sequels, including the creeds, totals up to eight films. In total, they've made these eight films at a budget of $204 million. There are Marvel movies and Fast and Furious movies that cost more than that just to make them. And this is a film series that spreads over 40 years. Again, the first one being in 1976. The third one came out in 82. I don't know why I remember that. I wasn't even born when these movies came out, but I watched them religiously. And the last installment of the series, which isn't over yet, Uh, came out last Thanksgiving in 2018. $204 million budget. They've grossed over $1.7 billion. $1.7 billion. The numbers are important because that shows that what I'm about to talk to you about has been implemented and is working and is successful. I talked to someone over this vacation that I had, and they talked about only wanting results and information from people who had results. I only want to get information from people who have the results that I want to achieve. And sometimes that's general success, not the specific discipline that you want to operate in. But even in that general success, having someone that could be that successful and, quite frankly, was inexperienced is really, really important. So I wanted to give you the numbers. Now that we have the numbers, let's jump into some core leadership principles. Leadership principle number one from Rocky, a.k.a. Sylvester Stallone, is always bet on yourself. Always bet on yourself. So many of you know the story. Some of you may not. But when Rocky was a young, budding actor, I don't even know if you can call him a budding actor. I think that was a part of the problem. He wasn't able to get any work. He even tells a story about him uh, trying to get into Godfather. And they had a scene where they needed 300 extras. And it was just a bunch of... 
Italian people just hanging out at a party and he went to go audition to be an extra. And he's like, this is going to work because I'm Italian. They need Italians. Bada boom, bada bing. It's going to work. I don't know if he said that part. That was my audition. But he said he went to interview and audition for this part and he didn't get it. And he's like, "Okay, I'm clearly Italian. That was one of the that was one of the pieces of criteria that you guys are looking for. What made me not get the role? And they told him, you know what? You just didn't fit in. That's heart crushing. That's heart crushing to want something so badly. You just want to be an extra. You're trying to find any way you can to break into this industry, to try to get a role, something that's not going to marginalize you. And they need 300 Italians and you couldn't even be one of the 300 they needed for Godfather. Anyway, he goes on to write this movie script for Rocky. Now, he's shopping this script around and there are a couple people who are actually interested in the script. The problem is he wrote the script for himself, for him to star in the script in the movie when they filmed it. And that was going to be the platform that he built his career on because otherwise he wasn't getting any work. And so he figured it would be a good idea to write this film. He could star in the film if he can get it produced, get it distributed. Maybe he could have a little spot, a little etched out spot in this industry, this film industry in Hollywood. Well, they accepted it, but only halfway. There were studios who wanted to purchase the script, but didn't want to purchase his acting skills. And his abilities because he was inexperienced and he didn't look like he can act and he didn't speak very well. And he was, you know, not the the greatest looking guy at the time. You know, money really changes things. And so he got rejected left and right. He actually got to a point, And this is really interesting to me. And this is where I kind of pulled this leadership principle from. He actually got to a point where one studio offered him three hundred and sixty thousand dollars, three hundred and sixty thousand dollars to purchase the script and not have him in it. Now, when it comes to betting on yourself, think about this. Think about living with your spouse, your significant other, having a child, having a dog who's hungry, having a child who's hungry, having a wife who's hungry, having uh, your bills be late, you're behind on bills. At the time, he had $103 in his pocket, and there someone is offering him $360,000 for a script Now, he wasn't a great writer. He wasn't someone who wrote things often. This was one of the first things he ever wrote. It took him three and a half days to write it. Before this, before practicing writing, he said he struggled even writing his own name. So for you to do that, write a script that was valued at $360,000, let's be honest, most of us would have taken it. It sounds like a really good deal. If I've never written a script before and I go in my house right now and I write a script and someone offers me $360,000 for it, I'm going to take it. But he wanted to bet on himself. He knew what his thesis was. He knew what he wanted to prove. He knew what he wanted to happen in the end. And he had to take that chance to bet on himself. And of course, as we all know, it worked tremendously. But think about how that can apply to your life. Think about how you have a vision of what you want to do, a vision of how you want something to turn out, a vision of what you want to happen in the end, right? Your your main goal, your, your total thesis of life, what you want to prove, what you want to try to have happen. How many times do we sell ourselves short by not betting on ourselves, but taking something less than what we initially aspire to do? It's an interesting thing because 
You can turn down something good in hopes for something great or in reality get something really, really bad. But here's the point of betting on yourself. When you bet on yourself, you can live and die by your decisions and you don't have to live with regret. He knew that if he was going to have any shot in this film industry, he had a script that worked. He just needed someone to give him a chance. He knew that already. He knew that the script was good. He just had to have someone to give him a chance to be on film. And that was his chance. He recognized his opportunity and he went for it. Now, the film budget was only a million dollars, as we discussed before, because the studio said, look, we'll we'll hire you to do this. We're going to pay you next to nothing for the script. We're going to pay you whatever the minimum that we're allowed to pay you as an actor. And by the way, the film budget can't go over one million dollars. And if you go over one million dollars, you have to pay for the rest out of your pocket. He still took the deal betting on himself, knowing that this opportunity, whether it was successful or not, it would be crafted and designed exactly the way that he wanted it. And how many of us can say that we had something exactly the way that we wanted, that we didn't sacrifice or that we didn't compromise ourselves or our dreams, but we bet on ourselves instead to say, you know what, this is the vision and I'm going to go for my vision. I'm going to execute on it. I'm going to hold out to the very end until I get exactly what I want. And that's what leaders should always do. You should always bet on yourself. If you have what you want to get out of life, if you have what you want to get out of your career, out of your business, hold on to that and figure out the best way for you to get there and don't sell yourself short. Leadership principle number two, you have to commit 100%. So here's Rocky, you know, $103 in his bank account. He's got a script and a dream, very little acting uh, experience, right? Some acting ability. And he throws his entire self at this project. I mean, he commits 100%. There were times in the film where he is going hard, not using a stunt double because he couldn't afford a stunt double. He's taking real punches, right? There's a time in the film where he breaks his ribs and he breaks his nose and he gets a concussion and he actually gets knocked unconscious because he's throwing his entire existence at his dream, at his role. And a lot of times in leadership positions, we can get into a position where maybe we're doubting if we're in the right place or we're doubting if the actions that we're taking or the the plan or the strategy that we've conjured up with our team is the right strategy. I can tell you one thing, even if it is the right strategy, you're not committed 100%, you're never going to see the results or the dividends that you actually wanted to see or that you should see if you were committed 100%. 100% commitment could actually cover up some of your flaws in your plans. When you're going 100 miles an hour, throwing your entire self at it, sometimes the effort makes up for some of the the mental thinking and strategy and planning that should have been there. Now, I want to make sure that I'm very clear. That doesn't mean that you don't need a good strategy. You definitely want to 100% commit to coming up with a good strategy. That doesn't mean that you don't need a good plan. You want to 100% commit to the plan. But once the plan is in place, once the strategy has been flushed out, once you have everything lined up, throw your entire self at whatever it is you want to accomplish. That is so, so important in anything in life, but definitely in a leadership position when you have other people counting on you, where the business is counting on you, where your team is counting on you, your team's family is counting on on you for this to work. 
to make sure that they can continue to feed their family. It's extremely important that we do what we do every day with 100% commitment. Throw your entire self at it. Now, in my mind, I'm hearing you talk back to me, right? I'm hearing you have this conversation with me. I'm even hearing a little bit of your internal dialogue. And so someone is asking me right now, but Tony, what if I, what if I can't commit 100%? What if I just don't believe in what I'm doing anymore? What if I just don't believe in the leadership that I have? What if I just don't believe in the company and the industry that I'm working in? Here's what I'll say. If you find yourself in a position where you can no longer commit 100%, it's time to go. That's no longer a job or position or title or industry you can work within or under. You have to leave. You're only going to hurt yourself, your brand, your name, your legacy, your business, and your team if you are doing something and you're not fully 100% committed. Now, I hear something else. Someone else is saying, but people do that every day. You're right. They do. And how well do you like working with them? (laughs) How well do you enjoy working with those people who you know are not 100% committed, who call into work when they really could have shown up, who leave early when they really didn't have a reason to leave, who don't give 100% on the project when they had time and the resources to give 100% on the project? No one likes to work with that person. No one likes to work with that girl. No one wants that guy on their team. No one wants to pay that person. So you don't be that person. If you find yourself in a situation where you can't commit 100%, be honest with yourself, be honest with the business, and just say, you know what? I think my time here is done. I think I need to move on. It's 100% acceptable to say that. And I do think even with these films that Rocky is doing, he's done eight of them, and people are thinking, why you keep doing it? One when it works, you should keep going. But <laughs> number two, I think you can still find a way to commit 100%. Even up until the last film, you know, in Creed 2, I watched an interview where he talked about how it was a, a role that was made for his life in this moment. A, a, a role that really challenged him in a unique way. A role that he actually didn't want to do in the original Creed because he never wanted to play a sick character on screen. It's not something that he had done before in his career. And now his character is having this bout with with cancer, the biggest fight he's ever had in his life. But once he wrapped his mind around the idea, he was able to commit to a 100%. And that's what led to a great performance. That's what led to great box office numbers. That's what led to the, you know, the financial gain and whatever other things that he was looking to gain from the film. It came from his ability to commit 100%. And so you pop leaders, I'm asking you, I'm telling you, whatever you're doing, commit 100% to it. All right, leadership principle number three. When you strike oil, keep drilling. I can't stress this one enough. So they've made eight Rocky movies. They keep making Rocky movies. Why so many Rocky movies? Because people are watching it. (laughs) They've made 1,700 Fast and Furious movies, and now they're spinning off spinoffs, and they're going into different directions and going out to all corners of the universe to bring back Fast and the Furious fans to keep getting the money because when you strike oil, you keep drilling. You don't strike oil and say, oh, there's oil over there. Let me go see what's over here now. You know, you stay where you are. When you find something in your career that you're passionate about, striking oil could be you being passionate about something. Striking oil could be you getting well compensated for something. Striking oil could be you doing something that fills you up every day. Whatever that is, when you hit your goal, when you hit your mark, 
when you hit your target, you keep going. You keep finding ways to deliver excellence. And that's what I love about the Rocky films. Say what you want about them. The people that are that are true fans of these films, right? They can watch one through eight without a problem. In fact, I may leave this right now and go watch one through eight. No, I'm not going to really leave. But I could do that because he always challenged himself. Each film challenged itself with that 100% commitment to keep delivering the same level of excellence, if not greater, right? There's not a, a Rocky movie where I don't see the consistent formula working, where I don't see him continuing to drill in the places where he's already striked oil. He's always had these, these uh, scenes in the movie. And the character Rocky, if you know anything about him, he, he's kind of, you know, not very articulate. He doesn't seem very smart, but he is very charming. And he does have a certain way about him that, you know, in the right moments, he actually says the right things. He doesn't say it with the, the language of, of an English scholar, right? But he says it, and I actually prefer it that way. The people that really have, you know, that, that way of speaking with the language of an English scholar, a lot of times they play with the words so much that it can kind of convolute what they're trying to communicate with you. Someone like Rocky's character He's not smart enough to confuse you. <laughs> he's just going to say it the way that he feels it. And he's going to communicate it in order for you to feel what he's saying. And I noticed that from the very first Rocky, when he's talking to Adrian, when he's doubting himself, when he's realizing what the entire fight is about, all the way to Creed 2, when he's talking to Adonis and he's telling him that the fight is a bad idea and you know how he needs to be there for him and all these other things. He always finds those moments within the script that he writes or within the film that he's producing within those scenes to continue to dig where he's already struck oil, where he knows this is going to work for the audience, where he knows this is going to tug on the, the heartstrings of the audience, where this is going to really pull you into the film and make sure that he has your attention to take you on the journey that he wants to take you on. And so I love that Rocky does that. And I think that we can duplicate that or replicate that in our lives in some way, shape, or form to say, okay, this has worked for me before. This hasn't worked for me before. Let me stay with what's working for me. And let me get creative within those confines, within that box, so to speak, to figure out how can I go deeper with this? How can I work this more? How can I you know, continue to dig where I've already struck oil? Now, I hear someone saying, okay, that sounds good in theory, but how do you actually do that? So glad you asked the question. Let me answer it for you. The way that you do that is this. Extreme self-awareness. You have to know you better than anyone else knows you. And this goes back to being able to commit 100% and betting on yourself. You have to know you better than anyone else knows you. And what I mean by that is this. Pay attention to your body. Pay attention to your emotions. Pay attention to your physiology. There are certain things that when you do them, you light up just like a plant opening up and blooming towards the sun. Like you light up on the inside, you light up on the outside. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows you're in a good mood. Everybody knows you're enjoying what you're currently indulging in. And there are other times where you're doing things that you know don't fill you up. You know don't make you happy. You know that you're not good at it. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe, I actually can't believe, but it's still kind of shocking how many people go to work and suck every day at what they do and they keep showing up 
Think about that as an employer. <laughs> you have people that are doing things that they know don't align with who they are. They know they're not good at it. They know that they're never going to be good at it. But they keep showing up because you keep paying them and they need a job. Right? Think about that from your eyes now, from your perspective. What do I do every day? Maybe it's this much of my day. Maybe it's my entire day. That when I, when I do it, it just doesn't make me feel good. Emotionally, it doesn't feel good. Physically, I, I start to slump and I got to take a deep breath, right? And I'm not talking about things that you have to do, right? You have to pay bills. You, you, you have to take care of your family. You have to do those things, right? But you don't have to work at that job. You just don't. You don't have to. So, so think about how that makes you feel every day and compare that to the other things that you do that maybe you feel better about. And even if those aren't revenue producing areas of your life, think about how you uh, have already struck gold in those areas. However, you already struck oil in those areas to continue the analogy. And now how can I expand on that? How can I take, you know, my love for comic books and expand that to a revenue generating area of my life? You know, how can I take my love for, you know, coffee mugs and expand that to a revenue generating area of my life? Think about start with your self-awareness and how that makes you feel. Find the ways in the areas of your life that you've already struck oil and then find ways to keep drilling there. That's all I got for you guys today. Again, happy Monday. So glad that you're joining us. If you want to continue the conversation about the podcast, you can always join us in our Facebook group. It is the Pop Leaders Facebook group. The link to that group is in the show notes. So make sure you click on that link. There's a couple of us over there hanging out. I want to get that group going, run some fun contests, do some fun things within the group. So make sure that you check that out. Make sure you subscribe and rate us uh, on Spotify and wherever else you can find this podcast on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe there as well. And at the end of the day, the moral of the story is this. Leadership is everywhere. You just have to keep your heart open, your mind focused, your eyes peeled, and watch for the pop. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I'll see you next week.